Welcome back. It's a Wednesday, the 21st day of February, 2024. I'm your host, Mark Hall. And you know what, folks? It's kind of a weird news day, but certainly in an interesting way. So this look at what the heck is going on is going to be a bit different today as well. And I guess this is a good place to start with today's Skynet and Terminator update. Courtesy of the Metro out of the UK and author Catherine Fiddler, many she begins fear this day would come, and now it seems it has. Chat GPT has gone rogue. No, not in the taking over the world sense, but it has started spouting complete gibberish. It even seemed to imply it was right there in the room with worried users. The issues, she says, have emerged in the past few hours, and its creator, OpenAI, is aware of the problem, but has not shared what it is. After one user asked the artificial intelligence model about which jazz albums to listen to on vinyl and receiving some suggestions, ChatGPT descended into repeating happy listening, followed by the musical note emoji over and over and over. After it was asked whether it had just gone mad, ChatGPT apologized, blaming a technical hiccup. But other rogue responses from the engine seemed a bit more uh, sinister. One of them included the line, let's keep the line as if the AI is in the room. Responding on Reddit, the user who asked the initial query about the coding said, Reading this at 2 a.m. is scary. However, at least one of the screenshots appeared to be a fake, and that, folks, is what makes this whole thing even more interesting. A post on X, for example, formerly known as Twitter, appeared to show the chatbot saying it hates humanity. That one I won't repeat. But given that these AI engines can already do a pretty good job of faking people and making up fake events, couldn't they even fake a fake? But other users found that ChatGPT was apparently starting to mix up language, sometimes using Spanglish or slipping in a bit of Latin, or even, say others, just making things up. But it's not the first time we've heard that either. An initial statement from OpenAI said, We are investigating reports of unexpected responses from ChatGPT, and shortly after that they said the issue had been identified and that the team is continuing to monitor the situation. And they're saying that normal service has now been resumed. Well, at least for now. Whatever that means. But on the weird and unsettling front, I guess we're just getting started. Remember the trucker boycott against the New York City theft ring masquerading as judges? Did anybody really think they weren't going to go after whoever it is that crossed them? This comes from Tyler Durden and Zero Hedge via Chuck Nagel and his Now Hear This substack. Chicago raid begins a trucker who ignited the righteous anger of his fellow truckers and millions of other Americans has stepped down from his boycott leadership. And does that mean the end of the trucker boycott of New York City and its ring of thieves? And is it just possible something even more insidious than trying to destroy people by finding them into death and submission is at hand? Chicago Ray was angry, it says, about the astounding $350 million plus interest, plus whatever they decide to add on later, fine, or theft is the term I prefer, that New York's so-called judge, Angeron, levied against actually elected President Donald Trump in that fraudulent fraud case. But, says the author, what Chicago Ray, the truckers, and so many real Americans were really, really angry about was our corrupt judicial system and the evil overlords who created it and are using it to punish anyone that they feel like. We the people know what happened to Chicago Ray. Despite his denials, the enforcers of the deep state made a phone call. Or maybe they left a message under the windscreen wipers of his truck saying something like, Boycott boy, you're going to have a really bad accident before your haul is over. Or just maybe, folks, we might have heard this somewhere else before. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. 
Oh, yeah. Well, he continues, perhaps they made a phone call to his cell phone. Like, if you don't end this boycott bullshit, your family and your home will be gone if and when you get back home and so forth. You can almost hear and see those threats when Chicago Ray posted, I took that video down from Friday because it went viral and my grandson seen it on TikTok. Newsweek, it says, claimed that Chicago Ray took down his original post and posted a new one in its place on Monday in which he, quote, distanced himself from the boycott calls and stressed that he was not encouraging anyone to do anything. And that post, too, was later deleted, but in a screen grab of it shared with Newsweek by the progressive leftist Midas Touch, in which he said, just to be clear, I'm no figurehead in any movement. Well, you get the picture here, and Newsweek went on to say that Chicago Ray also claimed... I'm not leading, nor have I encouraged, nor am I encouraging anyone to do anything other than what they were doing prior to the ruling on Friday in New York City, unquote. And you got to ask, and so does the author, does that sound like the way we've seen Chicago Ray really talk? Or instead, does it sound like something someone dictated for him to say? Well, just to remove any doubts, yeah, sure, on that score, he also posted, or at least some AI posted in his place, no one's got to me. I heard what drivers were saying, and I'm hearing some of that today. I ain't scared of shit. I grew up in Chicago. I stand with Trump. Truckers for Trump can make up their own decision based on their family and their careers. blah de blah But then it says he took down that post, too. All right, folks, time for an aside at this point. This is why... Historically, and you can look it up, there's a term called leaderless resistance to describe the most effective way to deal with tyrants without having a single target that Big Brother and his evil minions can go after and take out. In other words, once the movement begins, it can continue without a specific figurehead, even if they try real hard to decapitate it. Well, as of Monday, says the author, the FreightWave sonar platform that tracks inbound and outbound truckload freight tender rejections in and out of New York City shows no reductions in truck traffic. Now, folks, this is one of those that would have been easy to predict. Yeah, I think quite a few of us actually did. Do you think that a major online platform that everybody relies on for accurate information might not just be able to be uh, hacked and or manipulated and or coerced to? Wouldn't be the first time, right? However, it would be the first time if the press actually reported on it right up front. Still, says Chet Nagel here, I'm getting some information and confirmations of truckers and trucking companies saying they're refusing loads for the city. And if those refusals amount to as much as 10% of the average daily traffic, New Yorkers will experience a massive surge in prices for food, fuel, and other essentials, and chaos will reign. Whoa, whoa, folks. Here I got to ask. How many of them would be able to know the difference? So, he says, the boycott's not dead yet unless, of course, and expect this, the deep state enforcers reach beyond threatening Chicago Ray and begin to threaten individual truckers and trucking companies. And you'd better believe, because you know it, if they're willing to kill people and rig elections, why wouldn't they be willing to do that? So that probably means it's precisely what you can expect to happen. Remember what the Canadian government did in 2022 when they froze bank accounts of the truckers in the Freedom Convoy who were simply protesting Canada's obscene COVID vaccine poison poke mandates by using their trucks to block the streets of the capital of Ottawa. But, says Nagel, freezing the bank accounts of truckers boycotting New York City would be difficult because the deep state's henchmen and bureaucrats might have difficulty quickly identifying specific truckers who quietly simply refuse to take loads into the corrupt city. 
So instead, expect that the deep state could menace trucking companies with one regulation or another, or simply threaten to suspend their licenses, to even do business with honest places who appreciate them. Which, folks, is one of the big problems with licenses. Remember what they were able to do to the so-called medical profession by threatening doctors who actually cared about their patients. Rest assured, in other words, that the corrupt, evil, and downright duplicious state and federal regulators, bureaucrats, and henchmen, not to mention what now passes for courts, will certainly think of something. And you can rest assured they're working on it. But they'll be racing against the clock, too, to avert the chaos in New York City. Which makes it important to ask, what could they do to truly end the boycott? Could the New York governor, evil Hochul, step in, as did the governor of Colorado in 2021? Could it be that there might even be pressure put on anger on to revise his uh, theft, or fine? Or, says the author in conclusion, could it be just maybe that finally we the people, who are many against a few, might actually attempt to circumvent their evil and find some way, some clever way, to make our voices heard? I've got a sequence of stories next today that I can't help but think make a very important point, and it's literally the kind of thing that deserves an entire show. I'll start with this one from Zero Hedge, which has to do with an interview by Barry Weiss of the Free Press, who sat down with Harvard economics professor Roland Fryer at the University of Austin in the second week of February to discuss what it means to (laughs) pursue the truth. Fryer is a highly respected economist, says the intro here, and he told Weiss that the intense blowback that he was dealt after having published a study in 2016 showing that there were, quote, no racial differences in officer-involved shootings, unquote, well, cost him a lot. After the study was published, in a matter of days, he said all hell broke loose and people were, quote, losing their minds when they didn't like the result, unquote. And what do you bet, folks? They were knee-jerk leftists. Yeah, that's going to be the point, even though he probably wouldn't use that terminology coming from a knee-jerk leftist institution himself. The study found that police were over two times more likely to use physical force, such as manhandling or beating, against black and Hispanic individuals compared to people from other races. But there's a caveat. On the other hand, the findings also revealed that police were about 23.8% less inclined to use firearms against black individuals and 8.5% less inclined to use them against Hispanic individuals as compared to whites. In other words, although the study didn't really come right out and say it this way, you're safer being a black man when it comes to being shot by a cop. Said Dr. Fryer, I lived under priest protection for about 30 to 40 days, he said. I had a seven-year-old daughter at the time. I was going to the grocery store to get diapers with an armed guard. Fryer told Weiss that the shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri back in 2014 is how he initially became interested in the topic. He was shocked by the result, though, because he expected the study to find what the leftists who didn't want to accept it because it didn't meet their expectations believed that there would be evidence of bias in police shootings. The biggest conclusion from this study read, and here it is verbatim, quote, yet on the most extreme use of force, officer-involved shootings, we were unable to detect any racial differences in either the raw data or when accounting for controls, unquote. And at the time, liberal elites warned Fryer not to publish the study because it would ruin his career. Then he said in 2019, Claudine Gay, yeah, the infamous Claudine Gay, you may recall, who was Harvard's dean at the time, placed him on a two-year leave for alleged sexual harassment. And she is a real piece of work. Considering that Gay is no longer president of the Woke College following her botched response to claims of anti-Semitism on campus and also plagiarism allegations, 
Fryer demonstrated to Weiss that he had the courage to publish the unpopular truth despite liberal elites' attempts at Harvard and elsewhere to silence him and others in pursuit of truth because the study didn't fit the progressive narrative at the time, nor did it support the agenda of the Marxist group Black Lives Matter. Two brief different and yet somehow the same stories from different sources, both of which lead in the direction that I'm intending to go. One from the Atlantic, the famous very leftist Atlantic. The headline of this one, at least while it lasted, was America is headed toward collapse. And when I saw it linked, it was because, gee, when the Atlantic comes right out and says this, you got to figure we must be getting really close. That one was authored by Peter Turchin. He gave some of the reasons that probably wouldn't surprise any regular listeners here. And later I found it really difficult to re-access. I kept getting a message, we're working on getting that for you, but they never did. Maybe they just decided to put it behind a paywall so that people that weren't willing to support their leftist agenda couldn't see it anymore. Or who knows, maybe they were only following orders. The second story, though, which comes from Ethan Huff at Natural News, arguably won't really surprise us either, but it is somewhat revealing. It's about the British Medical Journal, which is a publication of the British Medical Sick Association, and their call to escalate the fight against what they call vaccine hesitancy. Yes, those people will not assent to what we want to do to them. And they're calling for, and here I'm quoting, more behavioral interventions online, including on socialist media. And in order to, and now I'll quote the whole sentence, reduce vaccine hesitancy driven by misinformation on social media, the BMJ wants big tech, big brother, and all of the other big public-private partners and platforms to promote the visibility of what their editors and controllers consider to be reliable health information while reducing or censoring the visibility of anything and everything else. And they also want more proaction on the part of socialist media to deal with the proliferation of misinformation. I bet you feel safer and more informed already. Here's at least a semi-related story, also having to do with medicine or what now passes for it, from a, uh, well... Not exactly a publication you could even call centrist. They certainly lean left. They're not on the vanguard or the tip of the spear when it comes to truth in journalism either. Well, but on the other hand, there are no CNN or New York Times. Occasionally, they will come out and admit something or other, and this is an example of that. The Daily Mail's headline from the end of the week of February 16th says, Top Canadian Surgeon Reveals the, and they put this in quotes, dreaded truth about sex change operations. A sex change surgeon himself has unwittingly, they say, revealed the dangers of so-called trans procedures, warning of things like poorly trained doctors leaving patients with dead appendages. Uh, you know what he's referring to there, don't you? And other dreaded complications. Dr. Alex Laugani, a clinician at Canada's Metropolitan Center of Surgery, made some damaging revelations, they say, about the pretty bad, his words, effects of sex change operations while addressing colleagues. The event was sponsored by the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, Warpath, oh no, WPATH, and it was recorded, and the footage was made public via a records request by the Daily Caller News Foundation. And in the process, Dr. Langani, whether he likes it or not, seemed to have joined a growing list of trans experts who, when speaking with like-minded professionals, behind closed doors in clinical settings at least seems to be a bit more candid about the downside of the evil that they're doing to people who uh, don't seem to be fully informed about what the docs intend to do to them. And yes, these are also things that generally the press doesn't want to talk about anyway because they have an agenda to push. And here comes at least part of the admission, which is not completely shocking, but maybe a bit surprising from the likes of the Daily Mail. 
Advocates of trans medicine, sick, they write, say it is a lifesaver among a suicide-prone group because it lets them live authentically with their altered genitalia, well, at least for a while. What they don't want to tell you, of course, is that these statistics seem to indicate they're more likely to commit suicide after they realize what's been done to them. On the other hand, says the Daily Mail, critics warn of a cult-like fad with ever more so-called trans people coming out and getting the risky procedures while Warpath and other medical sick groups are hijacked by ideologies and ideologues who push reckless standards of care. And that, I think, is being a bit too kind. In the video, Dr. Langani warns of an explosion of ever more clinics catering to the rising numbers of uh, propagandized trans patients where there's often, quote, a lack of training and not proper training. And while this mass rollout may give the wannabe trans patients access to surgery, it comes at the cost, suggested the doctor, of quality care. And then he went through some pretty graphic slides showing what happens when the modified genitalia... Uh, Let's just put it kindly, don't work as advertised. Rather than being too graphic, here are a list of what the Daily Mail calls post-op horrors, including, quote, rectovaginal fistula, pelvic floor dysfunction, and clitoris necrosis, and so on. Many patients, he said, have problems after surgery, and surgical wounds reopen in, are you ready, folks, fully three-quarters of cases. But I guess it's good repeat business, right? And no wonder they don't want people finding out about this. Because we got something to sell. And the ultimate bottom line is what it is in almost every other case of something they want to sell you. Where they want to hide the consequences. Genocide. And oh yeah, this kind of fits. Anybody else remember the recent rash of tranny mass shootings? It was Nashville and then Texas? Maybe women taking mass injections of the male hormone testosterone isn't such a great idea after all. But they're certainly never going to tell you what other drugs, like SSRIs, you can pretty well bank on that one, they're taking along with it. And arguably for the same reason that this sequence is building up to. You're not supposed to find out. All of which brings me to a story that's going to sound a bit different, but I will contend is very much related. And this one you probably did hear, from the waste stream anyway. You just almost certainly didn't hear the truth, and in many cases, still haven't. Remember the mass episode of so-called gun violence, the shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl victory parade? Why, it was so dramatically overemphasized, it almost upstaged Taylor Swift. You certainly heard about gun violence, and you probably, or did you, hear about the white racist shooters? These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. Move along. Hold on. Turns out they weren't white, and if they were racist, it was of a different and antithetical to the narrative kind. So quick, change the subject and hide the truth, or don't talk about it at all. So let's kick off a look at what they will talk about with another representative example, again from the Daily Mail out of the UK. The headline says, two minors have been charged in the Kansas City Chief Parade Shooting. Teenagers, it says in the first paragraph, have been charged as juveniles in the KC Chief Parade shooting, despite a prosecutor previously having said they would be accused as adults. So that's the emphasis of this story. The prosecutor changed his mind as to why, interestingly, they're not going to tell you. Or maybe they won't tell you the truth. Here's the second paragraph. The suspects who remain unidentified by authorities are charged with gun-related offenses. Well, that's the important part, don't you know? It's gun-related offenses that matter. And resisting arrest, said the Jackson County Family Court Division. 
And then there's this a bit further down, as Kansas City tries to recover after the mass shooting, booga booga booga, that turned a Super Bowl celebration into chaos. Oh yeah, not to mention a political theater just fit for the Biden Fuhrer to try to distract attention from being senile and otherwise an anti-constitutional tyrant. Police are working with juvenile prosecutors to determine what happens next. And maybe with the press and with the White House spin division to determine how to propagandize it. Wouldn't be the first time, folks, as you know, and it certainly wouldn't be the first time that they did it and lied about it and then covered it up. So the fact that you're not hearing about it simply is par for the course. It's possible, folks, you may have seen the video, which is up online, and does tell you a couple of things that the press doesn't seem to want you to know at all, although the Daily Mail did at least include a picture or two of the alleged perpetrators, which might allow people to conclude at least one or two major details, which the press doesn't want you to. Like, for example, they certainly weren't white domestic violent extremists, like you may have been led to believe. And it turns out there are two very specific words that you will not find in this Daily Mail coverage, or for that matter, in most of the waste-stream media's so-called coverage of an event that just doesn't fit the narrative, which really does, though, fit the pattern. One of those words is gang, as in gang banger or gang warfare or gang shootout. Uh-oh, nope, can't talk about that. Although a couple of politicos did actually slip and confirm it through the back door. Oops! The other word, folks, is black, as in not of the same race as the press would like you to believe since they're pushing for a race war. And what's funny about both those words is that I did a search of the article right from the Daily Mail's website to make sure they weren't in there. And they weren't. But ironically, when I searched for black, I found no less than seven explicit references to black in the accompanying right-side clickbait. As in little black dress, black bikini, black bra, you name it, because they have no problem using the word in a description of anything except violent perpetrators. And this is perhaps even more fascinating. With a tip of the hat to Jack Posobiec, who was the first person I heard pointed out explicitly, they and the Kansas City mayor and Missouri governor and police chief and all the other high-ranking officials and, of course, press that are supposed to be the fourth estate, wants you to believe that the reason they're not going to tell you anything about these violent, youthful black gangbangers is because Missouri law makes juvenile hearings not open to the public. And they're also concerned about, what, the privacy, I guess, of these youthful wannabe mass murderers. Well, as Jack Posobiec pointed out, how about Kyle Rittenhouse? He was a juvenile. Remember Kenosha, Wisconsin? Where it's evidently a crime to fight back against arson and rioting? Well, if it's committed by the likes of Black Lives Matter anyway... He was actually acting in self-defense, and they literally hung him from the yard arms, put his picture all across the country, and openly asked that he be given the death penalty in far too many cases. Why, he was even called a white supremacist and demonized personally by the fake president in a campaign ad. You know what's really ironic, folks? And maybe this is the real problem. Kyle Rittenhouse actually effectively and properly used an AR-15. He not only showed proper gun handling, he didn't spray the crowd and shoot a whole bunch of innocent bystanders like the gangbangers in Kansas City did. And you got it. That just doesn't fit the narrative. Even though he was a juvenile, and when it does fit their narrative, they don't want to tell you their names, their race, or their affiliation, or anything else, especially if they're transgendered. And remember Nick Sandman, the Catholic young man, and yes, also a juvenile, who didn't commit a crime, certainly didn't hurt, much less kill anybody. But you wouldn't know that from the media coverage that demonized him, too, in spite of his youth. Oh, yeah, he was white, though. Does that make it okay? But wait a minute. 
Let's not forget Kansas City's own, the nine-year-old young Chiefs fan who seems to have a Native American heritage to boot named Holden Armenta, who was demonized nationally for the horrid, insipid, unbelievable crime of dressing up in the Kansas City Chiefs colors, including, arguably, face paint, not only befitting his heritage, but also the team colors of the Kansas City Chiefs. And trying to go to a football game in Kansas City looking like a fan. How dare you, you Indian boy, you. Can you just start to get the tiniest little whiff, folks, of a double standard? Or, as I might want to suggest, is it something more insipid and more evil than that? Like maybe an agenda. I guess maybe what they're trying to tell us is the following. You want to kill some folks? Fine. The ones you're after have already been pre-disarmed for you anyway. But if you want to get away with it, you'd better check the right PC boxes. And if you do, not only will we cover for you, hell, we'll lie about it, blame somebody else, and hide the truth. All the better to steal their guns, ha, 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 so that next time they won't even be able to think about shooting back. Right, Kyle? Turns out, folks, that what you don't hear can be just as important as what you do. And may Yahuwah bless you and yours. <laughs>